Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. All right, today is week three in our series, All In. I hope you've been enjoying this series. Let's go to our text today, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important. And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And this is the heart of our series right here. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Wait a minute. Hold on, I gotta stop. Stand up, Sarah and Randy. This never happens. Stand up, come here. Just stand up. Go ahead, camera, shoot over to them. They just got married last night, and they're in church today. Amen. Wow, good to see you. Hey, and those who are watching online, what's your excuse? Amen. (laughs) Amen. Good to see you guys. Welcome Mr. and Mrs. Randy and Sarah Shelton. Amen. Good to see them. Amen. Jesus said the most important commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So in week one, I I preached to you about how to love God with all your heart. Last week, I talked to you about how to love God with all your mind. Today, I want to talk to you about how to go all in with all of my soul, all of my soul. Now, when I say the word soul, what's the first thing you think of? Do you think of an amazing genre of music with artists like James Brown and Aretha Franklin? Come on, somebody, you you can't take that away. That's some good stuff. Do you think of soul food, that delicious down-home cooking with roots in the deep south? Now, I know in Virginia we like to fancy ourselves as being from the south, but we ain't the deep south, amen. We ain't the deep south. What comes to your mind? See, now, if I say heart, that's pretty easy, right? If I say mind, that one's pretty easy. If I say strength, You can describe that, but what if I say, what is your soul? See, if you do a study of the Old Testament word for soul and the New Testament word for soul, I think you can kind of get a pretty good idea of what God is talking about. And I want to just kind of lay a foundation here about what the soul is before I talk to you about how to love God with all your soul. See, the Old Testament word for soul is the word nephes, and it means literally to breathe. And it's the idea that God breathes life into us. Now, pardon me, I'm going to be sipping some high tea today, just trying to keep my throat in check, because I don't want to be coughing on y'all today. And that's why we have a soul. We are a living soul. We have an awareness that nothing else in creation has because God himself breathes life into us. The New Testament word for soul is the word where we get psychology and all those words uh, that come from that psyche, for an example. It has to do with your will, your, your drive, 
the passion of your life, the power with which you and I live. And if you put those two ideas together, Old and New Testament, and you can probably get a pretty good idea of what the soul is. My soul is my desires and my passion. My soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. It is my God-given personality. Every one of us is unique, by the way. God has made us that way. Your soul is the passion with which you are living, the personality that you've been given. It's really who you are at your essence. Now, I want to explain this because sometimes we use the terms soul and spirit interchangeably. But there really is a difference between soul and spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, and it refers to the part of us that connects directly and communicates with God. And our spirit differs from our soul because our spirit is always pointed to war and it exists exclusively for God. But our soul, everybody say mind, will, and emotions, it can get self-centered at times, right? It can get focused on us at times. Hebrews 4 and 12 said this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Notice, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In other words, our soul and our spirit are different. The book of James offers a little bit more insight into this. <coughs> it says in James 1:19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. By the way, that's real good advice for life. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, your eternal spirit, the part of you that lives forever, it's saved when you're born again. Everybody say, thank God if you've been born again. Amen. But notice, only the implanted or the engrafted word of God is able to save our souls. An implanted word is not just one you hear, but it's one that you act upon, one that you try to live out. The apostle James, and don't forget, James was talking to believers here. He was talking to Christians here. He was talking to people that were already saved, but he is stressing to them the need for their souls to also be saved. In other words, the salvation of our soul, again, mind, will, and emotions. It is a process, not just a one-time affair. Come on. We are all a work in progress. Tell your neighbor, he's still working on me. Come on, he's still working on me. Come on. We are a work in progress, our will and our emotions. And the plan is God wants us to continually grow to be conformed to the image of Christ. This transformation, it's the process of spiritual maturity and discipleship. It's the process of sanctification. That's a good church word that means holiness. It's the process of righteousness. It's the growth of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. There's an old saying, it is true, gifts are given, but fruit is grown. Yes. Yes. Amen. Jesus said, you shall know them, not by their gifts, but by their fruits. See, our gifts and our talents are not what should identify us as believers. It ought to be our fruit and our character instead. Can somebody say amen to that, right? 
Come on, you can prophesy and speak in tongues all day long, but if you're a jerk, nobody cares about what you got to say. Matter of fact, if you're a jerk Christian, we care even less about what you got to say than what an unsaved jerk has to say. Because when God's Spirit is at work in our life, it's supposed to change us, transform us, help us. Amen. See, our goal in all of this, hear me, it's not just to be saved, but to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we accomplish this by meditating on God's Word so that our thoughts, our words, our behavior, our will, our emotions, our soul begins to align with the will of God. Now, hear me again. I'm still laying my foundation. This is an addition to your spirit man being saved. Hear me, you can get saved, but you can still remain a baby in Christ. Amen. You can stay in spiritual diapers, and that does not help your witness here on the earth, but it does not also help you to live the victorious life that I believe Jesus has planned for each and every one of us. Amen. It's so important. Every one of us is called to maturity. The moment our spirit is born again, hear me, a transformation begins in us that helps align our soul with the image of Christ. Now, how does this transformation take place? I, I, I read this scripture last week, and I think it's appropriate here again. How does it happen? Romans 12 and 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Notice, as our minds are renewed, we are better able to discern the will of God. Come on. We're better able to discern God's good and acceptable and perfect will as we are undergoing this spiritual transformation process. Let me tell you something. The renewing of your mind and often your soul, it requires restoration. And if there have been years and years of wounding in your spirit, hear me. Come on. It's going to take some time. For your soul to be healed. Amen. Come on. If you've had struggles with unforgiveness and offense and bitterness and worry and anxiety, hear me. Your soul needs time for healing. Your spirit is saved, but your soul is wounded. Come on. I want to help somebody here today. If you've been abused or hurt by the actions of other people, your soul condition may require healing. Come on, your spirit is saved, but your mind, your will, your emotions need healing. Amen. Jesus said this, Matthew 11 and 29, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and notice this, and you will find rest for your soul. Folks, this is a journey of finding rest for our souls. Our spirit, man, is recreated when we're born again. But hear me, our soul is being restored and renewed as we meditate and apply God's word to our lives. The spirit man is saved instantaneously. Come on, but the salvation of your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, it's an ongoing daily process. Come on. How many of you know, man, that there's days when you get up and you know my mind needs to go to the altar? Come on, my will needs to go to the altar. My attitude needs to go to the altar, right? Come on, because your soul is constantly and at work trying to grow into the image of God. So now, 
based on this understanding of the differences between soul and spirit, knowing your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions, how do we love the Lord with all of our soul? I'm going to give you four points, I think, today. Here's number one. Are you ready? You first start out by being thirsty for living water. Thirsty for living water. Jeremiah 29 and 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Don't just go through the motions with your mind and your will and your emotions. Come on, be passionate and thirsty for the right things. I read recently in a popular magazine, it says this, and I quote, Our souls need an intense, full-bodied spiritual life as much as, and in the same way as our bodies need food. In order to accomplish this goal, we need to bring the soul back to religion. Now, you might think that was from Christianity today or the Pentecostal Herald, right? No, it was not. That quote was from psychology today. See, they recognize that even a secular magazine recognizes that God has to be a part of this soul thing in us. Amen? We have to seek him in our lives. <clears throat> if you really want to love God with all your soul, come on, there's got to be some passion. There's got to be some hunger. There's got to be some thirst behind it. I see you. I saw you come in. Amen. God is at work in us. And God is wanting us to be thirsty. Come on. If you really want to love him, you've got to be thirsty for him. Deuteronomy 4, 29 says, if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. Everybody say all. all. Come on. There's that word. It keeps popping up again. Psalm 42 and verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh God. Come on. This verse is talking about being thirsty for God. Psalm 63 and 1, David said, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water. David is talking about your soul thirsting for God. God, you are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Jesus told a lot of stories about having this kind of passion. And this kind of thirst and drive in your life. Many of the stories that he told were about the passion with which someone would seek God and his kingdom. And it always had to do with finding something that was lost. For example, Jesus talked about somebody who lost some coins. You might know the story. And when they couldn't find them, what did they do? They searched all over the house to try to find these coins. He told about a shepherd who had lost one sheep. He left the 99 and with passion and energy, the Bible says that he went after what? That one lost sheep. He told a story about a father who had a son that had, had left, and passionately he waited for him to come back home. That's what loving with your soul is all about. That kind of passion and that desire, that kind of thirst. How many, are, or how many of you are prone to lose or misplace things? This is not an indictment. I'm just, I'm just asking. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now, my answer is, okay, I mean, I lose my keys, I lose my phone, thank God for Apple Watch, my favorite feature on my watch, find my phone, amen. <laughs> I lose stuff like that all the time, my wallet, my glasses, man, just yesterday, before we were coming to the wedding, 
Last night, I, tip, I asked Robin, and by the way, whenever I lose anything, my first go-to is, hey, Robin, have you seen? Come on, anybody else? And I said, hey, Robin, have you seen my black glasses? And she looked at me, she said, yeah, they're on your face. <laughs> Amen. I said, no, these are my blue glasses. But I found my black glasses, right? And, and, and I, it's always something, if I'm looking for my wallet, I can usually find it in the bottom of my laptop bag. If I can't find my glasses, the first place I go, I go out to my car and I look under the sun visor. Anybody else like me? Come on, I'm starting to feel bad about myself right now. No. Every one of us has had the experience of turning our house upside down, looking for something. We recently went on vacation, and when we were going through the airport security line, I got right up there, and I'm always meticulous. I kept... I'm always checking, where's the passports? Where's the passports? Where's the passports? And when I got up there, when I needed them, guess what? I couldn't find them. Man, I felt my heart racing. I broke out in a sweat. And man, I was digging through that bag. Finally, I stepped out of the way, and I'm dumping everything out, and I'm looking. And then I found them right where I left them. Amen. And you know that frantic urgency. What if? (laughs) What if we were that thirsty for God? That urgency that says, I'm coming to church today, but I don't just want to check the box. I don't want them to just sing four songs and then a sermon and then an offering and me go home the same way I came. Come on, somebody. What would happen if we got a passionate thirst for living water? So there's two questions we need to ask ourselves. First of all, what am I thirsty for? Because everybody in this room is thirsty for something. What am I most thirsty for in my life and why? I've got to ask you that question because Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, if I'm hungry and thirsty for other things in my life, if I'm chasing after other things like money or fame or power or whatever, hear me, there is no promise connected to that that I'm going to be filled. (coughs) As a matter of fact, I'm going to be disappointed either in this life or the next or possibly both when I'm searching for the wrong things. How many of you know that when you get thirsty for water, you don't tell yourself, what's wrong with me? Why do I want water? (laughs) Right? The reason you're thirsty for water is because God put that desire within us to remind us so we wouldn't die. Because if you didn't get thirsty, many of us wouldn't remember to drink, right? And God put that within us. And that doesn't mean anything is wrong. That means something is right. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what am I thirsty for? Am I thirsty for the things of God or am I thirsty for the things of this world? And then the next question, the follow-up question for what do you thirst for is, what am I drinking? Come on, what am I drinking? Jesus said in John 4 and 14, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Hallelujah. It becomes what? A fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. We used to sing an old song when I was a little kid in my grandpa's church out in the country. And it was a, it's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. Any old schoolers know that song? 
I'm singing, I'm shouting. Since Jesus made me whole, some folks don't understand it. But this one thing I know, it's bubbling, 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 bubbling in my soul. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm glad our worship music has graduated beyond that, right? But you know what you need? You need something bubbling, bubbling, bubbling in your soul, amen, that causes you to sing and shout because Jesus made you whole. So what are you thirsty for today? If you want to love God with your soul, you've got a thirst for living water. Here's the second way you love God with your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. You've got to love him personally. Personally. Psalm 116 and 1. I love the Lord. For he heard my voice and he heard my cry for mercy. I love the Lord. Very simple, but very powerful. You got to make it personal. I love the Lord with my unique personality, with my own way, with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. See, some people love the idea of God, the concept of God, the feel good of considering yourself religious. Well, my grandparents were Christians and my parents were Christians, so I guess that makes me a Christian. No, it doesn't. It means you might have been brought up in a Christian home, but we've got to make it personal. Personal. I wonder if the saying, my personal Savior, has been used so much that it's lost its significance to us. Is Jesus your personal Savior? Is he really your personal Savior? See, if we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and the Bible says we are, then we have been given the unique capacity to love God like no one else on all creation can. Right. Hear me, not only do you need to love him personally, when you love him, you are loving him in a unique way that nobody else in this room can love him. Amen. You are the only one in all of creation that can love the Lord the way you love the Lord. So when you love the Lord God uniquely with the God-given personality that he's put in your life, you are loving him with your soul. I want to help somebody right now. You don't have to copy anybody else. Come on. Pray the way that works for you. Worship the way that works for you. Praise God the way that works for you. Come on. Talk to Jesus the way it works for you. <coughs> Even in our church services, hear me. As long as you are not distracting others, you are not hindering others, and you're not drawing on undue attention to yourself, I want you to be you and worship the Lord. By the way, don't forget those three that I just said, amen? Come on. See, when we do that individually, but then we come together as a body of Christ under the direction of the Holy Spirit, it's not confusion. It's like a symphony. Yes. Yes. Come on. Sometimes it sounds like a symphony to the Lord. Now, sometimes it might sound like the symphony when they are tuning up their instruments, amen? <laughs> but it's all music to the ears of the Lord yes. because he wants us to love him personally. Here's what I want you to do. If your personality is, fill in the blank, love the Lord by fill in the blank. I want you to think about that for a minute. If my personality is, I'm, I'm, I'm wired this way, I think this way, I act this way, then you need to love, to love the Lord in a personal level. Love him the way he made you. Come on. That means there might be quiet times in your life. 
personal times that it's just you and the Lord together. There might be loud times or joyful times or times of tears or times of laughter. There might be times of walking and talking. There might be times of sitting and listening. Come on. Love God with your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. I see Pastor Isaac in the room. Pastor Isaac, wave your hand so people can see you. I love that Pastor Isaac and I are so different, and Pastor Isaac loves God with his soul. I challenge you to come to a prayer meeting with Pastor Isaac. I can assure you he's going to pray louder than anybody in the room. Amen. He's going to call down the Lord. And I've seen him on Wednesday nights. I've seen him laying in the back corner of that auditorium, laying on his face before God. I've been in the cafe with him before when he's had me preach for his congregations in Africa. And I am standing there, and he's, he's interpreting for me. And I'm preaching from my notes. And, man, Pastor Isaac has got it to the level of ten times my volume. And he's just, man, he's bringing it. You know what I love about him? He's loving God the way God wired him to be. I want to encourage you. Love God with your soul. Love God with your soul. If you're a crier, cry. Love him personally. Here's the third thing you need to do. Be thirsty for living water. Love him personally. And number three, follow his direction. Follow his direction. Psalm 143 and verse 8. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. And notice this sentence. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. We have to make that a pattern in our lives. Show me where to walk. I want to know God's direction for my life, so I choose to follow him. Loving with your soul is when you decide to follow Jesus. It's about your will. Whenever you're deciding which direction you're going to take, you want to always make sure you're allowing the Lord to guide your steps. Look what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must what? Give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Because if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you want to follow me, he said, give up your own way. Everybody Acknowledge, that's a tough one. <laughs> Come on, somebody. That's a tough one. Because that's an intentional decision of the will. Where I'm submitting my will, my soul, to the will and to the plan of God. It's tough because, and I don't know about you, it's hard to give up the things that I want. Come on. Hopefully the things that you want are not in contradiction to God's will, but sometimes they might be. And it doesn't even mean that they're bad things. It may just not be things that are part of God's plan for your life. And what did he say? You've got to be willing to give them up. You've got to let it go. Jesus said it as clear as a bell. If you want to follow me, you've got to give up things you want. See, sometimes that means I've got to admit that there's a difference between what I want and what I need. Now, I can assure you, if you're like me, I can usually feel very confident that what I want is what I need. Right? Yeah, I really need this. I really deserve this. I really, I've worked hard for this. Oh, it's Sunday. Uh, I, I deserve this. Or, yeah, it's, it's whatever. I've got a reason. Yesterday, I went to Food Lion, and I was going down the ice cream aisle, and they had Bluebell on sale. 240 off a gallon. 
And man, when they've got that kind of a deal, you got to buy two gallons. And Robin came home. I said, I bought some ice cream. And she opened up the drawer. She said, Bluebell. Is it what we need? Probably not. Is it what we want? Absolutely. But see, we've got to be willing to say, God, I'm going to give up my own way. It's crucial. Now, you might say, Pastor, how do you do that? It's really not that complicated. Let me tell you how you do it. You start every day by putting the things you want in God's hands. It's really that easy. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed these prayers in my lifetime. Lord, if this is your will, open the door. If it's not, close the door. God, if this is what you want for me, let it come to pass. If it's not, take it away, and I'm going to trust you regardless. Now, how many of you know that's easier said than done? Right? But if you would just do that every day, God, here it is. My relationships, my job, my finances, this opportunity. Is this from you or is this from the enemy? Is this a distraction or is this a blessing? I don't know, God. That's why the Bible says just give up your own way and follow the direction that he leads us in. Amen. Because that's the direction you want to go. Don't let what you get or don't get, have or don't have, want or don't want, become a stumbling block in your life. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, what did Jesus say following looked like? Giving up some things, taking up other things, your cross, and following him. See, when we put our life and our desires in God's hands, you can trust him to take care of you. I don't know about you, but you talk about something that makes me thankful, just knowing I can trust him to take care of me and my family, and my kids, and my son-in-laws, and my grandkids. Come on, somebody. You want to talk about being thankful? That's something to be thankful for. And then the last thing I want to share, <clears throat> if you want to love God with all your soul, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. How does this connect? I'll tell you why. Because the best way to get your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions in line with God is to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me go quickly back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and what breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's when God breathed life into us. But then centuries later, Jesus is standing with his disciples in the upper room. He's already gone to the cross. He's been buried. He was resurrected. He walked around on the earth. And he tells them, he says, God is going to come to you now in a new way. God has breathed on you once. He's going to breathe on you again. And here they are in Luke chapter 24. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. And by the way, you know what? Light bulbs are going off as they're hearing this. Hey, that was you. You died. You rose again on the third day. You are who we thought you were. Amen. <laughs> you are. It was also written, verse 47, that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Hey, that happened. 
John the Baptist did it. We've been doing it. You've been doing it. That's all happened. He says, you are witnesses of these things, Jesus said. You already saw, you know. But then he told them something that was coming. Verse 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And so guess what they did? They stayed in the city. They found an upper room. They had a prayer meeting. The Bible says that they tarried about seven days. Read Acts chapter 1. They were in the upper room and they were waiting. And they were waiting for the promise of the Father to come upon them. And then it happened. On the day of Pentecost, God breathed again. Come on, somebody say again. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. See, folks, that's part of loving God with all your soul. Letting his spirit fill your life as a believer. And one benefit of God's spirit in our lives is it makes us just relate to God as natural as it is to breathing air. It's there. That's what he wants to do when it comes to our relationship with him. That's what he wants to happen when his spirit comes into our lives. The reality of being filled with the spirit and letting him control my activities and my actions and my words Just like breathing, I just let his spirit in, in my life. So a good question for us to ask ourselves right now, how is God's spirit working and dealing in my life right now? Without the spirit operating in your life, hear me, you're still being led by your flesh. Come on, and what is your flesh? Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your natural man. 1 Corinthians 2.14 said it this way. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. Now, let me just stop and interject. This is why some of you, your non-Christian friends don't understand some of the stuff that you're about. They're still walking in the natural. Amen. Since those things are foolishness to them, nor can they know them because they are what? Spiritually discerned. You can't love God with all your soul if you are still in the lead. If you're still being led by the natural man. Because when God's spirit is coming to your life, your decisions can then be governed by his direction and be controlled by what he says. And the circumstances of your life begin to come into order in a new way. And then you can begin to see God do what? All things work together for good. Come on, in a new way in your life. All of a sudden you have this new peace in your life. Because whether you can see what's coming or what's happening or not, you know God is at work. See, now let me just say this. I'm going to look at the camera too when I'm saying this. I know a lot of you and some of you in this room that are, maybe you're new to this church or you're watching online. Maybe you come from church backgrounds that did not teach you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I can assure you it is very real. And it is still available for every believer. And I want every Holy Ghost filled believer to say amen to that right now. I want to tell you, this is not a Pentecostal thing. This is not a charismatic thing. This is not a full gospel thing. This is not a latter-day thing. Come on. This is not a Baptist thing or a Methodist thing. This is a Bible thing. And you might say, well, Pastor, why aren't all denominations telling this? Because denominations have screwed everything up. We've allowed the flesh to come in. We followed after the doctrines of men. Instead of the doctors of God. We need to just look at the Bible. You know what I wonder? 
What would happen if we lay aside everything we'd ever been taught and we just based our beliefs on what the Bible said? <laughs> There's a novel thought for you. And the Bible says we can be baptized in the Spirit. So how do I receive this Holy Spirit baptism? Musicians, praise team, would you come? Folks, can I just tell you, I grew up in this, and we made this so complicated for so long. I'm going to just share with you three easy steps to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? And by the way, for some of you, I'm planting a seed that you need to allow grow. Some of you, you need to respond to this thing right now. But here it is. Here's what you got to do. How do I, as Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit? Are you ready? Number one, you got a desire to be filled. You got a desire to be filled. You need to shake off all that. Well, my grandpa said people didn't speak in tongues. My grandma said that that died with the days of the apostles. My pastor said that that's strange fire. Anybody ever heard any of that? You need, to, you need to say, you know what, God? I want everything that you have for me in my life. We think speaking in tongues is strange, but we serve a God that we can't see. We think speaking in tongues is strange, but we have no problem believing that Jonah lived inside the belly of a whale. We think speaking in tongues is weird, but we have no problem believing that Moses parted the Red Sea and the Israelites crossed on dry ground. Well, that's in the Bible. Well, so is this. You got a desire to be filled. Let me help you. When you become a believer, hear me, God's Spirit does come into your life. I want to be very clear about that. The Bible says that it is His Spirit that draws you to begin with, right? Come on. So the Holy Spirit is a part of your life. But by being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are giving God complete control. Acts chapter 1 and 8 said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I don't have time to share my whole testimony with you, but when I was a teenager and I became a believer and I got baptized, I tried to quit smoking. I tried to quit drinking. I tried to quit partying. And guess what? It wasn't going real well until August 20th, 1982, standing in a church altar, standing in a service, and God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And hear me now, this doesn't work for everybody this way, but he immediately took away the desire for cigarettes and drugs and alcohol in my life. By the way, I'm thankful for you for that, Lord, still to this day. See, it was the Holy Ghost power being demonstrated in my life, but I had to want it. I had to want it. I've told, you, I've told this before, and I don't know why, but I just feel led to tell it again right now. I remember being in the altar praying and asking God, God, I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want it more than anything else in this world. And I'm telling you, the Lord doesn't speak to me in an audible voice, but this was about as close as it got. And he said, then what about the cigarettes in your pocket? I had a pack of Marlboros in my pocket praying. Now hear me. I'm not saying that cigarettes will make you go to hell. It might make you smell like you just came from there. 
that's between you and Jesus, okay? I'm not going down that road. But for me, guess what? I was willfully holding something back that the Holy Spirit had already dealt with me about. For me, it was cigarettes. For some of you others, it might be fornication. Or it might be drinking, or it might be pornography, or it might be whatever. You fill in the blank. Don't you just love that God works with us individually? But for me, I felt the Holy Spirit say, get those cigarettes out of your pocket. And you know what I did? I got right out of my chair. I walked right out of church. I was at a camp, a youth camp. I walked right out of my chair, and I walked right outside, and I threw that pack of Marlboros in the trash can, and I walked right back into church. And when the preacher got through preaching, I raised my hands, and God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That night, <laughs> willful disobedience was blocking a blessing. I am so off my notes right now. Was blocking a blessing from coming into my life. Some of you right now, you already know what he's talking to you about. Well, why ain't it happening for me? You already know why it ain't happening for you. Desire to be filled. Desire. Desire it. Want it. The first step is by letting him be in charge of your life. God, I want to be filled. Here's the second step. Repent of your sins. Everybody say repent. Recognize. Maybe I've turned my back on my relationship with God. See, that was that cigarette moment for me. You know what repentance is? It's turning around. It's a 180. It's instead of saying, Jesus, I want you in my life. For me it was, yes, I want you, and I'm willing to get rid of what you already asked me to get rid of. You have to turn. You have to be willing to say, God, I want to turn around. I'm going to start heading in the right direction. And as we talked about last week in depth, if you weren't here, go back and listen to the message at our website. you got to first change your thinking, and then you can change your actions. We get them in the wrong way, and that's why we keep going back and repeating the same old mistakes because we haven't changed our minds yet. Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's how you get transformed. So repent of your sins. Recognize that God has forgiven you because of his grace. And then the third thing you need to do, you just need to yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. When you see a yield sign, what does it mean to you? For some of you, it means drive faster. That's not what that means. <laughs> a yield sign actually means you're supposed to give the right of way to someone else. And when the Holy Spirit is working in our life, we need to give Him the right of way. Now, what am I talking about? How do you yield when you're seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're worshiping and you're crying out to God and you're asking Him to fill you with the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes on you, you yield to what the Bible says is speaking in tongues. Again, I know that's strange. It's odd. Amen. I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you what it says. You got to let those strange words that might be in your mind or in your mouth come out and you just give God control. Again, it happened on the day of Pentecost for the first time. Let me read it to you, Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Notice verse 4. What happened? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what? 
began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled him. And that's just one place in the Bible among many places that that happened. After yielding to the Holy Spirit baptism, I want to encourage you, don't stop there. This is a different sermon, but you got to yield to the Holy Spirit's control in every area of your life. I want you to stand with me all over this house. I've preached a little bit longer than normal today. I apologize for that. But I want you to know, if you want God's power, if you really want your mind and your will and your emotions, your soul to get engaged in your relationship with Jesus, you've got to allow the Spirit to take control of your life. And the greatest way you can do that, if you're a believer, is by being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you've already been filled by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, guess what you got to do? you got to stir up the gift that is in you. Amen? you got to stir it up. God knows. God knows. So today in this altar call, I'm going to open this altar, and I'm going to ask you to come forward. And I want you to pray about how to love God with your will, your mind, your emotions. Some of you, you need to ask God to give you thirst for living water. God, I've got to start being thirsty for the right things. Some of you, maybe you just need to tell them, God, I want to love you on a personal level. This thing just became a decision that I made a long time ago, and now I'm just kind of going through the motion. No, God, I want to love you. I want to make it personal. Some of us, you need to tell him that you are ready to follow his direction, to follow his guidance. God, I'm willing to lay aside my way, and I want to take up your way. Then there's others of you in this room, or maybe you're watching online. You need to say, God, I'm ready to yield to the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to either receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if I'm spirit-filled, God, I just want you to take control. I want you to lead me, and I want you to guide me. This team is going to begin to sing, and as they do, I want to invite you to step out from where you are right now and come forward and say, God, I'm ready to give it my all. God, I'm ready to love you with my emotions, with my will, with my heart. Would you come? Come on, right now, where you are. Some of you, you need to say, God, I'm ready for you to fill me with your spirit. I want you to baptize me with holy fire. God, I want you to anoint me with a fresh outpouring of your spirit. Come on. Come on, all over this house. God, I'm ready. I want everything that you have for me. I want everything that you have for me. I don't want to withhold anything, God. I want everything you have.